What can we do about nurse practitioners and doctors being exploited by healthcare employers who only care about money? Let's examine how nurse practitioners and physicians are perpetually behind the eight ball right here on episode 254 of The Nurse Keith Show. Well, hello and welcome to The Nurse Keith Show. I am grateful that you're here, whether it's your first time tuning in or you've been hanging out with me here on the airwaves for months or possibly even years. Thank you for being part of the growing Nurse Keith Nation. This podcast is, of course, all about you and your nursing career, and I'm here to share education, ideas, diatribes, and informative interviews with some of the most inspiring people from the worlds of healthcare, nursing, entrepreneurship, medicine, technology, and beyond. And did you know you can leave a rating and review for The Nurse Keith Show over on Apple Podcasts and iTunes? That's right, it really helps other people find the show, and if you do so, please let me know by shooting me an email at keith at nursekeith.com, and I'll be sure to read your review on air and thank you personally for all to hear. Would you do that for me, pretty please? Now, a recent review by Lotus Life Nurse is entitled Wise, Creative, and Pertinent to Millennial Nurses, and Lotus Life Nurse gave me five stars, which I so appreciate. And she or he wrote, Nurse Keith shares his experience and wisdom for nursing in a creative and understandable way. Hearing his calming voice on the Nurse Keith show immediately puts me at ease about my nursing career. I enjoy all of the topics he covers because I trust that he has done the research, has a credible nursing background, and interviews successful nurse thought leaders. Whenever I'm in a nursing career rut or feeling stuck, I know that an episode of the Nurse Keith show will raise my spirits and inspire me to take massive action. I highly recommend this podcast to any nurse out there who's looking for empowering perspectives on the profession. Lotus Life Nurse, thank you so very much for that kind review. Man, that means so much to me. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. Meanwhile, if you want to see the show notes for this episode, which I recommend, you can follow along at nursekeith.com forward slash the word episode and the number 254. So let's dig into this little monologue of mine here on episode 254. So on December 30th, 2019, just as the year was coming to a close, I published a blog post over on my blog, Digital Doorway, and simultaneously on LinkedIn entitled Nurse Practitioners and Physicians Behind the Eight Ball. The impetus for writing this blog post was a New York Times op-ed published on June 8th, 2019, which is linked in the show notes, of course, by Dr. Danielle Ofri, a physician at Bellevue Hospital in New York City. I hope to get Dr. Ofri on the show at some point in 2020, if possible. Her article was titled, The Business of Healthcare Depends on Exploiting Doctors and Nurses, and the subtitle was, One Resource Seems Infinite and Free, The Professionalism of Caregivers. Dr. Ofri hit the proverbial nail on the head. This is not a nail that we even want to be able to see because we shouldn't be exploiting our doctors and nurse practitioners and other healthcare providers. But the reality is, is that it's happening and damn it, we have to do something about it. So there are ethical issues at play 
when we are practicing healthcare professionals. And what are those ethical issues? Well, one, of course, is to not do any harm to the patient. That's a given. The other is that we can't abandon our patients. And when patients need us, when they are put into our schedule and we are faced with 25, 26, 29, 32 patients a day in 15-minute slots, we deliver because we know we need to do it for the patients. Why are so many complex, incredibly difficult patients with very intense medical conditions, comorbidities, polypharmacy, etc., why are our nurse practitioners and physicians often told that they must see these patients in 15 minutes and then move on to the next on the conveyor belt of healthcare? Well, the every 15-minute model is really an economic model. It is completely I would say completely geared towards the making of money and the reimbursement from Medicare and health insurance for the healthcare employer. Now, of course, whether for-profit or non-profit, a healthcare employer needs to pay the bills, be able to make salary, cover all of the expenses and massive overhead of running a hospital or clinic or health center or home health agency. But we are asking here in the 21st century more and more and more of our providers. And this article focused to some extent on primary care providers. And I think a lot about primary care providers because I speak to so many nurse practitioners, advanced practice registered nurses, who are totally behind the eight ball every single day that they're practicing. If you're in a federally qualified health center that serves underserved populations in either an urban, suburban, or rural area, you are definitely going to be behind the eight ball because those organizations are going to be pushing you to see a patient every 15 minutes, even though everyone involved, including those pushing you to do so, know it is actually not possible to provide good care in 15 minutes, unless maybe you're just administering a flu shot or following up on a simple sinus infection or cold. So many patients come into primary care with a hell of a lot more than a simple sinus infection or a cold or a sore throat. There are abscesses to lance. You have to do an IND. You need to do GYN. You need to perform a GYN exam, etc., etc. Patients are complicated. They get out of the hospital much more ill and much more unstable than they ever did back in the 20th century. And we are seeing these chronically ill patients, like I said in the introduction with polypharmacy, multiple complex comorbidities coming into primary care and need to be managed in very specific, detailed ways that just cannot be accomplished in the time allotted. So Dr. Ofri wrote so many salient points in this article. Here's a quote from the beginning of the article. You're at your daughter's recital and you get a call that your elderly patient's son needs to talk to you urgently. A colleague has a family emergency and the hospital needs you to work a double. Your patient's MRI isn't covered and the only option is for you to call the insurance company and argue it out. You're only allotted 15 minutes for a visit, but your patient's medical needs require 45. 
These quandaries are standard issue for doctors and nurse practitioners. Luckily, the response is usually standard issue as well. An overwhelming majority do the right thing for their patients, even at a high personal cost. Now, I've mentioned on this podcast before and in my blog and in social media posts that research shows that 400 physicians, an average of one per day, commit suicide in the United States every year. 400 physicians a year. We do not have accurate data on nurses and nurse practitioners and other healthcare providers like PTs, OTs, SLPs, etc. But we can assume that burnout, depression, compassion fatigue, suicidality, or possibly even committing suicide happen among nurses and NPs and others as well. Healthcare providers are ethical creatures. We are told we can do no harm. We are told we need to attend to the needs of every patient who's sitting in front of us. And those oaths we take mean a lot to us. Now, here's another quote from Dr. Ofri. If doctors and nurses clocked out when their paid hours were finished, the effect on patients would be calamitous. Doctors and nurses know this, which is why they don't shirk. The system knows it too and takes advantage. So the reality of this highly corporatized model of healthcare, especially here in the United States, is that the bean counters, those accountants and others who are just looking at the numbers, looking at the money, looking at the productivity, they know that they are asking an egregious amount of their providers, but they do it anyway because, like Dr. Ofri pointed out so saliently and cogently, they'll do it because they know they need to because the patients need them. Those expectations are there. So if productivity and churning the patients through every 15 minutes is really at the center of how we deliver care, so-called quote-unquote Patient satisfaction is definitely going to go where? Down the toilet. That's right. But what happens, as I say in the blog post, what happens when providers are so burned, they are so crispy, that they can't actually provide the quality of care that they've sworn an oath to provide? What happens to provider satisfaction, nurse practitioner satisfaction, surgical or surgeon or physician satisfaction, or floor nurse satisfaction, for instance. Do those watching the money flow in into the coffers of the hospitals and healthcare systems, do they think about those 400 American physicians who take their lives every year? Do they think about the cost, the human resource cost, that this push of productivity, this incredibly calamitous push for productivity, what happens when we push this and when the providers just keep doing it because they know they have to and they feel they're ethically and morally bound to do so, but they're killing themselves, literally doing it. Dr. Ofri also points out in this incredible article that the electronic medical record or electronic health record has revolutionized healthcare. And There are precious few of us who'd want to go back to the days of paper charts, running around the clinic, trying to find a chart. And if you can't find it, you have nothing to go on when you're seeing the patient. So the universality of the EMR has definitely done a lot of good for both patients and providers. However, 
there's a dark side to EMRs. One is, if you're a nurse practitioner working in, let's say, a rural, federally qualified health center, serving very underserved patients who need a great deal of detailed care that necessitates you spending hours and hours doing referrals, looking at labs, calling patients back, planning your visits, following up, documenting everything. What's going to happen when the day is done, the sun goes down, and you leave for home? Well, you pack up your laptop, put it in your car, you drive home, and over dinner, you open your laptop and you continue documenting for hours, possibly even until you're ready to go to bed, maybe even staying up later than you should, but you know you have to close those charts because the next day you're going to have more charts to document, you're going to have more referrals and labs and x-rays and MRIs to review, patients to call, and the process starts all over again the next day. And if you don't close your charts, boy, you're going to be in a lot of trouble on many levels. In fact, in the show notes and the blog post, you'll see a link to a recent article in the Annals of Family Medicine that shows from actual peer-reviewed studies that for every hour of direct physician or nurse practitioner-based care, two hours are needed for accurate documentation in an electronic medical record or EMR. So, When we look at this 15 minutes allotted for caring for this patient, even if you can squeeze that patient out of the room in 15 minutes, you still need to document because you can't sit there and finish your and close your chart while your patient's there. You actually want to look up from your computer and look the patient in the eye and have a real conversation. Well, some providers want to do that. So that extra hour of documentation That half hour reviewing labs and calling the patient back and maybe calling a specialist for advice, are you paid for that time? Not if you're doing it after hours because you're on salary, you're not paid by the hour, and you are going to be putting in all of that time at home when you should be relaxing, taking a bath, walking your dogs, playing with your children, hanging out with your spouse, or otherwise blowing off steam and resting after a very trying day at the clinic. So stress, burnout, compassion fatigue in medical providers, nurse practitioners, and nurses, this can lead to what? Stress-related illness, provider attrition, suicide and depression and mental illness, as we mentioned earlier, and many, many other negative outcomes. So if here in the United States we have a shortage of primary care providers, and nurse practitioners are in this moment as I speak, filling a lot of those slots that physicians are not filling. What are we saying to these people who are coming into the profession and wanting to be primary care providers and do the right thing and serve the underserved and reach the vulnerable? What do we tell them when after their first 10, 11 months as, say, a new nurse practitioner in a federally qualified health center, what do we tell them when they feel like their work is completely untenable, that they cannot provide the care that they are being asked to provide and that they must morally and ethically provide to these very complex patients when they're only allowed so little time to do so. No one is going to say, look, go home, do some documentation. We'll pay you an extra 200 bucks to get that documentation done. Is that going to happen? No. No. 
So as Dr. Ofri also points out, quote, in a factory, if 30% more items were suddenly dropped onto an assembly line, the process would grind to a halt. Imagine a plumber or a lawyer doing 30% more work without billing for it. But in healthcare, there's a wondrous elasticity. You can keep adding work and magically it all somehow gets done. The nurse won't take a lunch break if the ward is short of staff members. The doctor will, quote unquote, squeeze in the extra patients. So for physicians, midwives, nurses, nurse practitioners, physical therapists, and anyone else working in the healthcare ecosystem, we show up, right? We keep showing up because that is what we do. We show up because we are, at heart, caregivers. We want to do the right thing. We want to serve those we are bound to serve. And we want to do the work, even though we are sacrificing ourselves literally on the altar of patient care, because patient abandonment is a serious thing. And we wouldn't want to put our patients at risk, would we? However, the reality is we are putting our patients at risk. Do you know why? Because we are so burned, we are so tired, we're experiencing compassion fatigue, depression, anxiety, etc. We can't necessarily provide the care we need to provide because we are exhausted. So when we come back from a quick break, I want to talk about some solutions and some ideas And you, yes, you are going to have to take the ball and run with it because no one is going to do it for you. We'll be right back with the second half of episode 245 of The Nurse Keith Show. So now we're going to take a pause for the cause for just a moment. Please consider becoming a patron of The Nurse Keith Show, just like other listeners who value the show so much that they want to give just a little bit each month to support the work we're doing here. When you pledge, you not only get the satisfaction of helping produce and support the show, you also get some pretty nifty premiums and gifts directly from yours truly. Just head over to patreon.com forward slash nurse Keith to read all about it. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash nurse Keith. Also, please consider signing up for my newsletter at nursekeith.com so that you can receive my bi-weekly message just for you. Finally, if someone you know could benefit from career coaching with me, please consider referring them. And if they become a paying client, even if they do one session, you'll receive credit for one hour of coaching with me. And there's no expiration date on that credit. And you can keep it in your back pocket until you need it most. Remember that you can refer as many people as you like and continue to earn those coaching credits over time. What a deal. Those are my sincere asks of you, dear listener. So now let's dig back into today's topic. And welcome back to the Nurse Keith Show. Yes, this is episode 245 and the show notes are at nursekeith.com forward slash the word episode and the number 245. We've been talking about nurse practitioners and physicians being behind the eight ball. I've been reading some quotes from an excellent article by Dr. Danielle Ofri of Bellevue Hospital, an article entitled, The Business of Healthcare Depends on Exploiting Doctors and Nurses. We spoke in the first half, or well, I spoke, you listened, about the ethics, the practice, and the hard realities 
of medical practice and how our physicians and nurse practitioners are exploited by the bean counters and accountants and chief financial officers who are pushing them to do more and more with less and less and how those nurse practitioners and providers will keep doing it because they are bound ethically and morally to do so. Now, we did talk before the break about how in a factory, if we started to force those factory workers to do more with less, the system would grind to a halt. Some of you might say, well, yes, that's true. However, unions have been greatly diluted here in the United States in the last 30 to 40 years. And oftentimes in factories, or let's say Amazon distribution centers, for instance, there are grave human resource violations happening every day. People are being pushed and pushed to produce more and more in this capitalist society, and they are getting very little in return for the extra effort. So medical providers, we save lives, we keep patients on track, we treat acute conditions, we treat chronic illnesses, we contribute to the greater public good to society in huge ways. And on this podcast in the past and in my blogs, I have written about how I acknowledge that pop stars, musicians, football players, hockey players, baseball players, they make enormous sums of money basically to entertain us. And yes, the arts play a very important part in society. And I'm an artist as well. And I've had many artist friends and family members and musicians. I understand. And yes, they should make a great living. However, where are our priorities in this society when our entertainers are making multi-millions or billions of dollars, and the people who actually literally save lives are making a pittance in compensation, in, well, relative pittance compared to the pop stars and the athletes, and these athletes and pop stars, are they going to play a game without being paid for it? Are they going to put on a concert without receiving a check? Well, maybe if they're doing it for charity, yes, but otherwise, no, they want to get paid. Does a doctor or a nurse practitioner go to their CFO and say, hey, I did four hours of documentation last night. Show me the money. No, that doesn't happen. So in my book, the musicians and athletes should try trading salaries with medical providers, but we know that'll never happen. And when an athlete argues that instead of getting they're 50 million, they should be getting 75 million. I look askance at that and I think, you know, I know some medical providers and nurse practitioners out there. They could definitely do with a cool million because they are doing such incredible work out in the world and no one seems to appreciate it. So friends, solutions must exist. There have to be solutions, but how do we do an end run around these systems that have set us up for this type of egregious, calamitous situation that none of us can really see through because we're in the trenches all the time and can't figure out how to get out? So yeah, this seems untenable. It's an incredibly difficult situation. 
healthcare has been completely corporatized. Even hospice has been corporatized. And more and more is going to be demanded of our providers. And we're going to keep losing good people to suicide, to attrition, people quitting healthcare and just saying, hey, I'm going to go work at Trader Joe's. I can't take this anymore. Or I'm going to sell real estate. I can't take this anymore. I've talked in this podcast before about this concept of the triple bottom line. And it's the concept that where the bottom line, the financial bottom line is important, we need to look at different aspects, different bottom lines. The triple bottom line refers to people, planet, and profits. We don't just think about the money. We think about the effect of our business practices and healthcare practice on the environment. And we think about how we're impacting the people, not just the patients and their satisfaction, but the provider's satisfaction as well. How do we take care of our people so they want to keep working and giving the care that they are mandated to give and to be able to do so and stay healthy while doing it? And you know, this whole thing of HCAP scores, patient satisfaction scores, don't get me started. Well, you actually have gotten me started, so I'm just going to go for it. HCAP scores are fine. Patient satisfaction scores are definitely driving the financial end of healthcare. Patient satisfaction scores, HCAPs, these affect Medicare and health insurance reimbursement to healthcare providers. So of course, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, CMS, they understand that these patient satisfaction scores are a reflection of the quality of care being provided. However, whatever happened to nurse satisfaction? Whatever happened to nurse practitioner or physician satisfaction? Does Medicare give a hoot about whether the doctors and NPs are happy if they feel that they have the resources and time they need to provide the care they are? I doubt it very, very much. And what if, what if the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, CMS, decided that employee satisfaction scores were of equal importance to patient satisfaction? What if every quarter or every six months, every employee within that healthcare institution, for instance, fills out a satisfaction form, and it gets sent electronically to CMS. What would happen? Well, you know what? The accountants, the executives, the bean counters, they might have to scramble around to try to figure out how to keep those providers satisfied so that their scores would go up and their reimbursements would stay as they would like them to be or even higher. Would we have the gall, would we have the gumption to actually do this? I don't think so. But this is one potential solution to the problem. So this overly corporatized healthcare infrastructure, it is essentially strangling the system and hobbling good clinicians who can't take the strain and could otherwise provide awesome care, but they are so burnt out that the care is possibly substandard or they are pushing themselves to such an extent that they're providing great care, but at their own personal detriment. So yeah, we can bill, bill, bill for reimbursements, but when the final quote unquote bill arise and we realize that 
outcomes are not what they should be. Patient satisfaction is down. Employees, employees are being driven away from their employers because they can't take it anymore. Then maybe we're going to start to brainstorm solutions and come up with ideas that we can actually operationalize and make real today or tomorrow or the next day. Folks, it has to happen. This system cannot stand, yet we continue to tolerate it. We continue to work within it because no one knows how one person or one group can force change to happen when the corporations are ruling the day, ruling the roost, and dictating how providers provide care to their patients. So Dr. Ofri's article concludes thus, quote, The healthcare system needs to be restructured to reflect the realities of patient care. From 1975 to 2010, the number of healthcare administrators increased 3,200%. There are now roughly 10 administrators for every doctor. If we converted even half of those salary lines to additional nurses and physicians, we might have enough clinical staff members to handle the work. Healthcare is about taking care of patients, not paperwork. Those at the top need to think about the ramifications of their decisions, counting on nurses and doctors to suck it up because you know they won't walk away from their patients is not just bad strategy, it's bad medicine. I highly encourage you to go to the show notes at nursekeith.com forward slash the word episode and the number 245, read the show notes, read my blog post, read the article in the New York Times from Dr. Ofri. And also read the article linked to the Annals of Family Medicine. This will blow your mind and might just get you to think, well, maybe I can make a difference and do something about it. Well, there you have it. That is a diatribe for sure from me, Nurse Keith. This is episode 254. And those show notes again are at nursekeith.com forward slash the word episode and the number 254. I hope you feel inspired from this episode to initiate change, to speak up, to speak out, to gather together with your colleagues and brainstorm ideas. Meet with your executives, administrators, meet with the CFO, COO, CEO, and say, look, something needs to change. Our institution can do better. What are you going to do about it? And if you need personalized holistic career coaching to elevate your nursing career or help you find that balance you want between your personal life and professional life, look no further and head over to nursekeith.com to read about my coaching services. And did you know there are job listings at nursekeith.com? That's right. You can find jobs from Reload, Trusted Health, ZipRecruiter in the resources section. You can also find free ACLS and BLS and PALS certification. OpenMD, a free search engine for evidence-based medicine, an excellent IV video course, and affordable resume templates, and much more. That's the resources drop-down menu at nursekeith.com. The Nurse Keith Show is expertly produced by Rob Johnston of 520R Podcasting and Mark Cappy Spiesen as our stalwart social media ringmaster. I'm grateful to both Rob and Mark for keeping the wheels turning in the right direction. Be well, dig deep, seek joy, keep in touch. And this is Nurse Keith saying adios till next time from beautiful and today very chilly, nine degrees, Santa Fe, New Mexico. I am out and I will see you soon.